Amen. Um, <laughs> um, two things to take away from that that I think I, I enjoyed a lot. One, obey your pastor. I'm just kidding. Um, um, there, I, I remember the story of the woman at the well. And she gets saved and she finds Jesus. And then she runs and tells the whole town. And they, the Bible says they believe and they come and hear him. And then it says, after a few days, they say to the woman, at first we believed because of your testimony, but now we believe for we have heard. And I think something you hit that's important is um, having a faith because you're around a certain people or you grew up in it is a great first step. It's actually a mandatory and important first step. But unless you shift into, but now it's mine and I own it in my day to day, you're forever stuck in one and you're never actually walking out your salvation with God. And that's something you hit that I thought was actually really, really good. Um, I liked it a lot. And the second thing I forgot, but it's what I quoted. So uh, read my Facebook quote, <laughs> like it and uh, share it, all that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> How's everyone doing today? Can we make this like a super holy moment? Can I have like some piano and stuff? Uh, I want this to like not be long. I want this this sermon to be short. Um, God was doing something in worship, and I'm sad that we're not in it anymore. Um, I mean, God never left or anything. Uh, God makes it. All right, you guys ready? Say, I'm ready. Say it again. Say it backward. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I was like saying that. I used to tell that to the kids' ministry, and the kids would always like try to say things backwards, and it was just, it was such a joy in my heart. Um, so, if we can put our handy dandy notebook up, um, in our three pillars series, as you know, we're, we're focusing right now on the first pillar, which is your relationship with God, or as the Bible would call it, your first love. And I, last week, I lied to all of you. And I said, next week, we're going to talk about your first love. And the topic of like, you know, loving God first. And then as I really began to study and dive into the topic, um, I realized I lied to you guys. <laughs> and so instead of saying your first love, I was going to title it, but for real though, because it's just, I just wanted to talk about the first love, like, but for real though. Um, <laughs> uh I read the verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, hopefully, and if we can pull that up real quick. It's just one verse. If you didn't bring your Bible, I brought the verse for you. Don't worry. I brought a giant Bible for us all to look at together. We love because he first loved us. And if we... A little slack, hopefully. What? Oh, I know, but I need you to sing pretty in a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, and I really began to dive into the topic of loving God first. And I kept getting stuck on this verse. Um, and I think it's because I almost fell for the trap that I think most Christians fall for. We, we, we don't preach we believe in works, but we live like we believe in works. Uh, we, 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 we say the right words, 
But when things really begin to happen, we default back to, well, I have to do this. I have to be this. I have to start walking and being this way. And I got stuck on this verse because it actually says the opposite. It, it doesn't say you loved God enough that he came. And, and it's so funny because I think that's how we read John 3.16. For I so loved God that he came. But the Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave in this verse, if we could really internalize this verse, I will boldly go so far as to say that if you internalize this verse, you will automatically live out the entirety of the Bible. Boldly say that. Because when the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God. And he says, the second is like it. He didn't say they're equal. The first greatest commandment is love God. And if you love God, he says you'll love your neighbor. And he says you can hang all the laws and the prophets on that. Everything you're supposed to do, all the rules and the regulations that we pride ourselves by, and we don't realize that we become secular humanists because our philosophy is based off of our works and what we have to be, and it's not based off of his works and who he is. And so we become just like the philosophers that don't even believe in God in the first place. What does it mean to be good? And we ask that question. But that's never been the question. The question's always been, who is God? Because he is good. And the Bible answers that question with an emphatic one-sentence word. God is love. Now, as a preacher who I love says, we don't worship love. Love isn't the deity that we worship. We worship Yahweh. But him in all of his perfect ways is love. There are different definitions of love, and we have to learn his definition of love to know what love truly is. But God is love. And you can't love unless you realize that he loved you first. Literally, what I want to preach to you today, my whole point of this whole sermon, ready, is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And people who know me, you know how deep I love to go. You know how much I'm about preaching theology and doing the right thing and knowing what the Bible says. But I came face to face with the hypocrisy of that belief this week. And I told the leadership team this, and I'm gonna tell you guys this as well. After today's sermon, regardless of what happens to anyone else in this room, I promise you I'll never be the same again. I will boldly say that about this message and about what God is beginning to speak to this church, to these people. Honestly, what I believe to his church as a whole. And I think you're gonna start seeing people shift in response to this message and you'll know who really has an ear and who doesn't based off of the response to this message. Amen? Um, we love because he first loved us. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray right now that you would speak, Lord, that you would, you would take what we know about you and you would actually replace it with the truth of who you really are. That God, we would stop being 
people who try so desperately to live a certain way. And God, that you would begin to teach us just to realize how much you love us, that we really would identify as beloved of God and that we would interact in our day-to-day from that perspective, Lord. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't know what you're playing right now, but if it could be the fourth song that we did, is that what you're playing? Perfect, see, just on the same page. I had a friend and his dad really loved him. Okay, so I put ED as in like he doesn't anymore. No, he loves his son. He's still alive, but still a good relationship. <laughs> you know, this isn't like a downer story. Um, and I, I grew up without my father. I would see him a few times a year, but, but I grew up with my mom and the guy of the week. Um, and, and so honestly, I grew up not really understanding what a father really was. And when I became a freshman in high school, I met a man who was in my wedding party. His name was Jared Eastless. I think I talked about him last week too. I need to text him or something. He's on my heart a lot. And um, his dad was the youth pastor in our small town. And, you know, I don't really believe in God. Sermon out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, back then, I didn't really believe in God. <laughs> um <laughs> And, and I started talking and hanging out with Jared. And, and one day he's like, hey, you want to come to church with me? And I was like, no. <laughs> and somehow I ended up there. I actually still don't know how that happened. Um, I did, though. He was, a, he was a good guy, a really good friend, a really nice guy. And um, I met his dad. And the first sermon I ever heard preached in a church service that I went to by myself, Jared's dad preached on the concept of giving up your son. And he looked at all of us in the crowd and he said something that I had heard a thousand times, but I never believed someone meant until that moment. He said, I wouldn't give up my son for any of you (laughs) in the middle of his sermon. And uh, I mean, I get that now that I have a son, like, like if someone's like gun to any of your heads and was like him or your son Thomas Thomas or your son I'd be like Thomas I have a verse for you to live is Christ but to die is gain and I would I would I would take my son and I would be leaving the room I love him to death I I mean sure I'd be like no take me but but I would want I would want Thomas to gain because I care so much about him. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I like him more than all of you. Um, my son, I do. He's the best thing in the world. Um, and he, he, he did that. And he, he preached that to us. And he talked about it. He's like, I would, I would kill all of you if it meant saving my son. And like I'm like, this is the first church service I've ever been in. And I'm like, well, this is hilarious uh at least he's being real um and i left and for some reason that stuck with me it's the first real picture i ever had in my life of what i truly believe to be no that that was a real heart and it meant so much to me i got really close to jared and i got really close to his dad and and, uh, jared was like 16 and and 
we would spend the night at his house because he did. He became one of my best friends in the world. Uh, Thomas usurped him, and they're still bitter about all that. But, but I loved, I loved Jared, and we would sleep on these couches. And sometimes, I would wake up at night, and Jared's dad was actually in the living room looking at Jared sleep, and I was like. Yo, he's 16. I get it with Titus, but like if Titus is 16, I'm going to go to bed. Uh, maybe. Apparently, I might not. Um, but I didn't think I'd like Titus as much as I do now. And so, like, who knows what's going to happen 16 years from now. Um, and he would, he would do that. And one time I told him, like, man, you're a creep. <laughs> I'm like, yo, that's creepy. And then, like, I read the Bible verse that says that God's watching us even as we sleep. And I'm like, bro, you're a creep. Like, like what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's that was always my perspective. I couldn't receive it. I couldn't understand it. And he'd always be like, you'll get it someday. And, like, the other day, Titus was sleeping. And I was just staring at him. And it's like, I'm a creep. And the best part was, he like opened up his eyes and he looked at me and I went like that, like I scared him. He was like, what are you doing, you creep? And I was like, I know, but you'll get it someday, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, I love this kid so much. And I'm like, I remember, I remember when he told me you'll feel that way someday, legitimately, no joke, I thought I will never be like that. Like it was a goal in my life. Like, I, you're weird. <laughs> And we would go to this, this, uh, these church gatherings, and I would hang out. And they, they always called me the token, which is funny because I'm white, and that's like never been a phrase towards a white person. Uh, but it was an all Latin community. I was literally the only white kid that lived there, and they would always call me that. Um, and they'd make jokes like, "Oh, because it would snow," and be like, "Oh, we can't take less; we'll lose them." And I was like, "Oh my God! Like, like what's happening? <laughs> I've never heard this before, but here we are." Um, <laughs> and and I remember one time he gave me like a, a skateboarders. He gave me something, and I remember I was like, "Wow, thanks, Dad!" And everyone went, "What?" Like, now I call a lot of people mom and dad, right? But that was the first time I ever did that towards someone. And I was like, oh, I hope no one hurt. And everyone looked and pointed and laughed. And, Jared, and Jared's dad, they all laughed at me. And they all made fun of me. And I was like, no, I didn't call him that. You called him that. Like, you know? And it was just like that. And then that night, though, he sat down and he said, son, I love you. And I remember what that meant to me and how that affected me. I remember on my wedding day, he texted me and said, good job, son. I remember when his family member, very close one, died just recently, and me and my wife and Mark drove out there. And when we, we talked and we prayed with him, he said, I'm so glad to have a son like you. He texted me when Titus was born, because they're coming out in the next couple of weeks or months, depending on their work schedule, and he said, I can't wait to meet my grandson. And it's like, that stuck with me. It changed me. But I still dealt with God from the perspective of how I had always seen earthly fathers. It was always so distant. And then you hear, you hear songs that Christians sing. They sing, you won't relent until you have it all. And that song used to make me uncomfortable. It still does a little bit. Like, is he just gonna keep running? Yeah. 
Is he just going to keep coming after me? Yeah. And then you see Christians get up in arms about songs that come out. And I'm like, this song is blasphemous, right? And like, like when, I remember when Reckless Love came out. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You just get posts about this guy's a heretic. How dare he sing God's love is reckless? And then you look up the definition of reckless, and it means to do something without care of your personal well-being. And it's like, that's the cross. That is definitionally reckless. <laughs> and then I remember when the song Scandal of Grace came out. And it's like, God's love isn't scandalous. And it's like, no, he killed his son for you. He bankrupt heaven for you. You know how much they tried to kill him because they saw him as something wrong. He hung out with prostitutes. If, if you catch me in a brothel, they call it a scandal. And Jesus was in brothels constantly. He was with the, with the tax collectors constantly. He was in the place where people were sinning, and he wasn't sinning. He was showing love and grace. Do you know how many prostitutes were part of his movement? At least three. That's three more than we, right? And we're in Vegas. He was basically in Vegas. <laughs> and if y'all walked into a strip club and saw me there, and I was like, I swear I'm praying for people. Like, even if I was, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> but Jesus was up in there, and they're like, how dare he? And he goes, man, how dare you? Like, and that's always his response. You're a man of God. How, what are you doing here? You claim to be the Messiah. How dare you be amongst these people? Why aren't you amongst these people? God is love and the people that were rejected and the people that were ostracized and the people that were unloved were the people he went to first. Matthew, have you ever read the book of Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. They hated tax collectors because they robbed their countrymen. traitors history tells us that a lot of tax collectors oftentimes weren't even allowed to come in and pray in the synagogues the people would, would kick them out Jesus after Matthew the tax collector gets saved he goes and has dinner and it says that at Matthew's house you know how nice that house was compared to everyone else's because everyone else paid for that house <laughs> whether they wanted to or not <laughs> And he was there, and they said, how dare he be here? And so Jesus looks and says, the sick need a doctor. And that's why I came. And the problem is, people have such a bad perspective of sickness. Because what they assume to sickness is, I ain't living right, therefore I'm not sick. And Jesus says, well, your tombs may be whitewashed, but inside are still dead men right? You may look good, but there's none good but God. We all desperately need him. And he knew them. And without having to preach on the cross again, because I've broken it down very recently, I want to I go back in time to the Old Testament. And I want to tell you a story. Can, can we do that? I'll make this quick, I promise. Um, I promise this will be quick. My fingers are crossed. Thank you guys who caught the joke. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the real ones. Um, 
<laughs> going back in time, and so I actually read a commentary as I was studying this book, and it was what really drew my attention. And my little commentary, it points out to this character's story, and it says, aside from the cross, this is the greatest show of God's love in the entirety of the Bible. And so I was like, oh, let's talk about it. And many of you may have heard it, but let's talk about it again. It's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Putting it this way, it's the story of a prophet and a prostitute. It's the story of a holy man of God and a down and dirty sinner. And Hosea is a prophet. And God says to him, the ESV version is kind of brutal. He says, go find a woman in whoredom and marry her. Go find a prostitute and marry her. Men of God in that time don't fraternize with prostitutes. And the Bible says Hosea went. You know what's really funny? If you read a lot of these prophets, you'll read about the stories of them fighting with God. Not with Hosea. He just went. He just got it. Cool thing about the Old Testament, and actually actually even in the New Testament, which makes you laugh because you never see it anymore, uh, but God typically had prophets act out their prophecies. God, God didn't say, hey, go speak to Israel. I'm going to redeem them. Don't speak to Israel and say, even though you're dirty prostitutes, I'm going to marry you and love you. He says, go marry a prostitute. And so Hosea goes, and he goes to some dirty places, probably, and he goes into places that men of God are not supposed to be, and he looks at a woman, and he, he takes her as his own, and he marries her and brings her in and pulls her out of that life. And suddenly this down, dirty woman who didn't deserve to be in the presence of God as they taught was suddenly in the house of a prophet. And they have children. They have a son. And they have a daughter. And then they have a son. And they get some terrible names. <laughs> like the daughter's name is No Mercy. Like, wow. I've met someone named Mercy, but I've never met No Mercy. Oh, that's a Bible name. Um, <laughs> I've met a Mercy, but not a No Mercy. And, and then, and then this, the third last son, his name is Not My People. <laughs> Not my people, come here. Right? No, oh, look at not my people. He's just sleeping like a baby. Like, how does that even work? Like, it's a terrible name. Like, I mean, her name's Gomer. I guess that's a terrible name, too. Gosh. If I ever met someone, they're like, yeah, this is my baby. Her name's Gomer. I'd be like, oh, my God. You hate your child. How could you name your child something like that? It just sounds terrible. Um, so not my people. Um is himself a prophecy. And God says, when he's dealing with these three children and their names being prophetic, he begins to take them down a journey in the prophecy and he says that he's going to forsake the people. He's going to show no mercy to them. And that's the prophecy. And then when not my people is born, God says over him, people who were called not my people will become sons. People who were unloved will be called brides. And so what is reproduced out of a union between a broken person and God 
becomes union with him, becoming his people. As we begin to really embrace the fact that God loves us, and we begin to really become his people, we begin to find that even though we don't deserve to be loved in a lot of ways, and even though a lot of us don't feel like we have the right, and a lot of us, we really fall into our works-based mentality, we find that he draws us in anyway. And, and the beauty of that and the, the, the powerfulness of that is awesome. And the story goes like that. And that's that's us, by the way, right? That we are Gomer. We are this woman. We are this person who was dirty and dark and wasn't welcome in the kingdom of God. And so God didn't call her into the house of the prophet. He called the prophet into her home to bring her home. That's the gospel. That's us. But then something else happens that's us. After three children, one day, Hosea wakes up and Gomer's gone. She left him. I've been there. How many of you all have sinned after finding Jesus? I've been there. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm proud of you. <laughs> You're amazing. You should preach. Um, he wakes up and she's gone. And she left her kids. She left her family. She left the presence of God to go back to her mess. And Hosea gets up and he starts to live his life again. And then God says to Hosea, see, it's funny, if you read chapter one, he says, go marry a woman. But if you read Hosea chapter three after she left, he says to go find her and love the woman because she's already yours. You're already married. Go get her back and love her again. And so when anyone else in the world would have been quoting Matthew and said, well, sexual immorality, I get to leave, right? It's not a sin for me to divorce my wife because she's back into sexual immorality. God shows up and says, go love her again, just like I've loved you when you've fallen away again, and just like I've loved Israel when they've fallen away again, and just like I continue to love you when you've fallen down. And so Hosea goes, and his wife has been in prostitution, and he's got to find her. He's got to pass people that are paying for his wife. And then when he goes and he finds her, she's on the selling block. And even though she's his wife, basically they tell him, kick rocks, you have to buy her. She's mine now. And so he does. He pays for his wife and he brings her home. And what he says to her in Hosea chapter 3, he says, you will not pray the har play the harlot any longer. You will be loved. And he says, you will come into my home. And if you read what he's doing, one commentator points out, he was basically reiterating his vows to her. He was basically telling her, yeah, we've already made this deal, but I'm reminding you this is where I'm still at. That you're going through something, but this is where I'm still at. Because the love of God is so 
strong. And here's the thing that absolutely blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. I have dealt with God from the perspective of I am saved. I know God. I am in right standing with him. And then when I sin, I go, okay, I got to work on this. Okay, I got to do this. Okay, well, here's what I have to do better next time. Here's what I have to do to be in God's presence. Here's the kind of person I have to be. And I start to shy away from God as if there's anything I can do to change our relationship. Because just like with Hosea, she could leave, she can go back and she can run, but she's still my wife. And all it's going to do is I'm going to have to go and get her again and buy her back like I always will. What it means is, who saved you? Did Jesus save you or did you save you? Jesus, right? And I think most Christians believe that and most Christians accept that. But then once they sin and they get shackled to some kind of addiction, they look and they believe, yes, God has saved me. But now it's my job to break the lock. Hosea found Gomer. And then when she left, he found her again. Judas Smith said something so profound. If Jesus is enough for your salvation, then Jesus is enough for your redemption, right? If Jesus is enough for your salvation, then Jesus is enough for this sin. Do you know the answer actually never changes? Just like when you fell on your knees before God and said, God, save me. God, I need you. God, and then the first time and you really felt God, every other sin you fall in from that point on, it's still the same answer. It's not get up and dust yourself off and do this new thing. It's go back to Jesus because he loves you. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself off. He's already there with you and we lose sight of that and we really believe yeah I did not set myself free but I have to keep myself clean of sin too bad that's not anywhere in the Bible a verse I've been stuck on all week says this it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance When you sin, what are you supposed to do? Repent. But do you repent for repentance sake? No, you could only repent if the goodness of God is there doing it with you. Let's talk about some people in the Bible. Peter, he denied Jesus. He ran away. He gets on a boat. He's fishing back where he is. And Jesus shows up where he's at. Let's talk about Thomas, who when everyone sees Jesus, he shows up in a room and says, I'm not going to believe this stuff unless I see it for myself. And so Jesus doesn't say, I'll show up when he has faith. Jesus shows up and he says, here I am. What do you need? He wasn't waiting for Thomas to get it. He was bringing it to Thomas. I'm proud of you. <laughs> what, what, Paul? Paul is killing Christians. God's not like, okay, he's going to get it someday. God shows up and knocks him off his donkey, right? And as he's there, he says, who are you, Lord? And he begins to change his life because God wasn't waiting for Paul to figure it out. God showed up and taught it. So when you're stuck in your sin and you're stuck in your struggles and you're stuck in your pain and you're like, I'm this cycle, why can't I break out? Because you're trying to break out. You don't have the key. He has the key. Call on him and let him come and set you free. That is the gospel. Last night I was praying, really, really praying. And, and and I was really, really seeking God 
I was thinking on Hosea and Gomer and about how often, without realizing it, I deferred back to works. And I was really meditating on that truth in my My wife sent me a, a picture of Titus because she was gone and she took him. And I was only a little bitter. And and I was just in the atmosphere of the goodness of God. And I looked down at the picture of my son and, I, and my allergies were flaring up. So my eyes were watering, but you know, allergies do that to you. It was raining in my apartment. It was crazy. It was a terrible day for rain, yeah. <laughs> And I was looking at the picture and I began to weep. And, and by the way, that's not me, guys. I'm, I, I want that to be me because I think tender is better than whatever the opposite of tender is. Callous. Yeah, we'll do callous. Instead of callous. And, and I started to really tear up and, and think like, man, he's only been gone like six hours, but, but I want him back home. And I was so thinking on how much I loved my son. And I'm not like a God spoke audibly to me kind of guy. And he, he didn't last night either, by the way. That's not what this is leading to. Uh, and, but I have like, a, I'll get like an echo kind of in my head, like one thought. And this thought was like, the best I, could, I was like drowning in this thought. I was stuck in it. And the verse that hit me as I'm looking at my son and crying um, and just missing him after only like four or five hours, honestly, was... How much more a perfect father? And it wasn't about my son. It's like, how much more do I love you? And it just began to really sit on me. As I'm weeping over my child that I love so much, God tells me, and this doesn't even poke the surface of my love for you. And I really began to look at the Bible and really begin to let God teach me about his love and realizing how much have I done this past year, this past five years, this past seven years, because that's when I got saved about seven years ago. These past seven years, out of the thought that I have to work closer to get to God's presence or find his love, or you know what? It's time for me to start doing more. It's time for me to grow up. But God goes, no, if you just realize the fullness of my love for you, you will begin to pour into others. You'll begin to live the way you're called to live. That is why it's the greatest commandment. Love God. And when you apply it to what John says, what do you see? Only if you know that I love you. Do you believe Jesus loves you? Does that play out in your actions? I was at the, dang it, I don't want to tell the story. I was at the park. <laughs> Um, apologies right now because uh, this story is slightly offensive and it slightly kind of shows the kind of person I am in my own heart sometimes um, I was at the park walking and I was I had my earphones in and I was actually had Hosea on repeat in my ears because I was really thinking I'm going to talk about Hosea and I did um, and so I was listening to it over and over again as I was pacing Cornerstone Park. It's a beautiful park. And I was like, Cornerstone, because that's biblical. And so I went there and I walked around the Cornerstone and I was like, yeah, the Bible. And um, and, and I'm walking and there was a, a woman uh, there and she was overweight. like I'd say like 300 pounds. And I'm not like 
like 250, 300. Like she was, she was overweight. And uh, she would do this thing where she would run for like three seconds and then she would walk for like 10 minutes. And it was like she was running out of breath after just like three seconds. Like she'd take like literally three steps and then go back. And like I watched it for a while and I was like, this is embarrassing, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I realized because I was so in the headspace of how much God loved me, what I looked and felt towards this woman was understanding. Or if I'm being completely honest with anyone in this room, and, and again, I know this is like offensive, I hope it doesn't offend you. I think that kind of spurt and the way she was running and stuff, under normal circumstances, I would have found that hilarious and been laughing. Um, because I'm kind of a piece of crap sometimes. Um, but in that moment, when I was fully aware of the goodness of God and really enveloped in his love for me, my perspective had immediately changed. And what I felt instead was an understanding. And what I felt instead was like, a man, she is really trying her best. And she really wants to get healthy. And maybe just because I can run for five, six, seven minutes without stopping, and that she can only do a couple, three steps, at least she's doing those three steps. And at least she's taking them. And I felt so overwhelmed because God began to show me, even last week, before I began to show you the depth of this love, how would you have responded? And I was so disgusted with that person and how he would have responded because I felt like just one moment in his presence was better than thousands elsewhere. And I grew in just a moment in his presence in a way that I hadn't grown for the past seven years. And so I walked up to her. And so I prayed with her. And so I talked to her about the goodness of God. And we began to speak and communicate. And she cried and she got prayer. And she went back to her running. People who look and say, I don't get how you do it fall in love people who look and say man how are you so passionate because I'm aware I'm self aware of his love for me if we could grasp that evangelism would be easy if we could grasp that community would be easy if we could grasp that loving Jesus would be easy and I think for many of us that's actually difficult and the reason why it's difficult is because deep 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 down you don't believe he loves you you say it you know it but the heart is fickle. But God loves you. He is madly in love with you. How, how in love with you? He gave his son to die for you. How, how in love with you? He, he watches you while you sleep. How, how in love with you? He, he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. He, he finds joy in counting them. How in love with you when you praise and you worship. The Bible says that God comes and sits his throne upon it. Because that little thing you're doing alone in your room is worthy of the presence of the fullness of his kingdom. And so he shows up because he loves you. How, how in love with you? Well, the Bible says that when you pray, your prayer is forever in his presence. The Bible says forevermore is it before him. How important he's listening to every word you speak. The Bible goes so far as to say you'll have to give an account for every word you speak because God is intently listening and he cares about the things that come from your mouth because it matters to him God loves you he's actually madly in love with you because God is love guess what he can't help himself uh, what God can't help himself it would be contrary to his character if I told you God can't lie what would you say amen he's truth what well, means God can't not love because God is love 
Is his love different than ours? Absolutely. But it is love. He is paying attention to you. He is aware of your struggles. And that person that you're mad at and you have hatred towards because of how they treat you, he loves them too. That's why he's big on forgiveness. I'm sorry, I was supposed to be done, but I have so much going on. Um, We had a cleaning day here at the church on Saturday. And I'm cleaning the church. And my wife is a big witness to this. And, and I uh, clean the church. I put the, the envelopes and the, the thing in the front seat back. So if you tithe today, you're welcome. Um, and, and, I, and the whole time I was doing that, I, I do my thing I like to do where I pray for every seat and every seat. So hey, if you sat down today, I prayed for your seat. Um, hollow. <laughs> and, and I was putting them there and, and I was praying and, and I was looking at the people cleaning in the community and I felt heavy. I felt unsatisfied I felt like suddenly I was grossly aware of a sin in my life I didn't feel condemned though because I was so hyper aware of God's love I just it was weird I literally was it was this white hot magnifying glass on this one thing and I knew and I knew in my knower right that what God was saying was it's time for this to go and we're always those felt like condemnation because I was so baptized I guess to say in the truth of his love for me instead I was like wow this is an opportunity to look like you because there was a person I was holding so much unforgiveness towards and I looked at everyone cleaning and I realized I can't be here with that and so I grabbed my phone and I went outside and I talked to that person for like an hour I apologized I told him how I felt It was a long talk. It was an uncomfortable talk. And it was a talk that if I could be honest, I always justified from a biblical perspective why I didn't have to have it. I used all the right Bible verses to do all the wrong things. But when I was wrapped up in his love for me, there was no more excuses. And I can I tell you something genuinely, it was my joy to put that to rest. There was such a weight off my chest. Regardless of how that went, which it it could have been better, but there's such a weight off my chest. When you're aware of his love, you fall more in love. When you fall more in love, you begin to have a heart for the things he loves. When you have a heart for the people he loves, you begin to look at the people that aren't in that ring and you're desperately wanting to bring them in. So when I realize God loves me, I fall in love with him. I fall in love with his bride, which is the church, if you believe Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And then I fall in love with everyone not a part of that because I desperately want them to taste and see that the Lord is good. It begins with the truth. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if I could be honest, we're going to get real stuck on that for a few weeks. Which, you know, to be fair, I think the last like four or five weeks, I was pretty like, here's what we got to work on, right? And I don't take any of that back. Work on it, right? Um, But we've done the hard and the serious enough that I feel justified before God. I feel like he's really calling us to a simple truth as we sit on the concept of first love, that we're loved first. And however that looks, I know I told you one month for each pillar. 
but this pillar is going for a little longer than that. And so we'll see what happens when we get to community and we really dive into being one as he is one. But maybe it won't be difficult to embrace that because by then hopefully we will have embraced the simple truth that he loves me. Most popular verse in all the Bible. God so loved the world. That's you. sin if you believe in Jesus I think you're bound by your definition of love if my freedom is through faith then I'm only as free as I believe I am and, and people are going to start giving prophetic words because they've bit their tongue for too long and God's going to free that going to do this until we can't anymore and if that's not you that's okay but I'll be here till this man of church shows up you matter to God Pastor Zach came and preached a sermon the first thing he ever preached to our church was you're significant do you believe you're significant and it's so funny because so many people would say yes I, I would love for you to look at your life how do I respond to God Isaac made a, a comment uh, when he was at my house last he was talking to Titus and he said your dad loves you so much and he says you want to know how I know that he goes because you've been in every sermon that he's ever preached since you were born <laughs> and it's true I have full-blown conversation with Titus every day. We go through so much. He's a cowboy. He's a, a rocket ship. He's a, like he goes through a lot in a day. Um, and, I, and I just talk with him. I just tell him what I believe about his future. I, I speak life over him. Um, and it's funny. It's so easy. Like we can have a conversation about something so off-topic, and I'm going to bring Titus up. I'm a sucker for the guy. So when you're looking at your life and saying, do I love God? How often are you talking about him? How often are you talking to him? Because there are a lot of you in this room that every time I talk to you, you bring up the same thing every time. For some of you, it's a girl. For some of you, it's a sports team. For some of you, it's a business. For some of you, it's your calling. For some of you, it's your struggle. And here's what I, I'm aware of when that happens. This is what you're focused on. And this is what you love. Because you talk about it. That's the secret to getting to know people, by the way. Figure out what they're about and ask them about it. They'll talk to you for hours and feel like you had a good conversation. I remember sitting in groups of 
people that were as passionate as me. We talk about God all day. Talk about the Bible. We pray with each other. And I, I don't do that much anymore. But I'm going to. Zach came over to my house and we talked theology for like four hours. And then he texted me afterwards and apologized and said, man, I'm sorry I took your time. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, this is what I want. <laughs> but, but I, you know, you know what has to, I have seen, I've heard this from my mother to certain fathers that were she was married to at certain times and she'd say like go hang out with your son you know my wife never has to say that to me because when you're in love you hang out how often are you hitting your secret place so these are things you can actually look and go man no you're right this isn't a condemnation thing <laughs> because I think the reason you don't do it is because you don't really believe God loves you because when you believe God loves you, it turns into real love back. I don't think the answer is you gotta love God more and you gotta start doing this. I think the real answer is you have to get real with God and be like, you know what? I don't believe you love me. And let him fill a space with his love. He's always willing to because he's always with you. I think we've gotten away from that. Because the churches that just preach Jesus loves you over and over, uh, they're doing it because they want more people to come into a room. And the people that preach too much theology every Sunday, they lost sight of what was important. And, and so what if we circled around the goodness of God, not to grow a building, not to grow people, but we circled around the goodness of God because we believed it. And we, we weren't tired of hearing it. We didn't have to leave because, oh, they're not feeding me enough. I'm tired of hearing that. I just want the meat of the word. What is meat? Hebrews tells us it's living it out. So if you don't believe Jesus loves you, you're not eating the meat of the word because you have to live a life of Jesus loving you. I promised last week I'd be louder and funnier, and I just, I'm not there. Now it's time to start to shift into prayer. We can hit those lights off. Um, I Every Sunday, I come with the intention of preaching 30 minutes, and I always preach an hour. Imagine if I came with the intention of preaching an hour. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my Lord. I used to always promise the young adults that I was going to preach a four-hour sermon. It never happened, but we'll see. I ain't dead yet. Um, I'm a prey. That was what I was doing, right? Um, and when I say amen, please do one of two things. Come up front, worship, and get prayer. Or decide that's not me this week. And don't distract the people who are going to experience that. Amen? Uh, God is here. 
he's not at the altar, he's here. But there's something about the altar, there's something about, just like the prophets of old, like Hosea had to marry the prostitute so that he could live the prophecy that God's gonna marry us. But sometimes there's something about coming and kneeling at the altar and living out while your heart is crying out. I am giving this to the feet of God and saying, God, take this from my life. I've heard the story of the man that when the tithing bucket came by, he put it on the floor and stood it in and said, God, I'm giving you my entire life. As long as he dropped in his tithe, that's a great story. Um, but sometimes, oh, I'm giving him me, and it's like, okay, cool, keep your your money then. Um, but 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 surrendering and giving, and, and I want to encourage you into that um, because I do know there are some prophetic words that need to be given to individuals and to the group as a whole, uh, and not to like use it as a scare tactic. But I'm going to say, whereas I could do it right now before you left, I will give the words to the people who stay. Because I don't want to freak people out. And I've been the person who left a service because I wasn't ready for the word I was given. And it, it kept me farther longer. And I want you to ask yourself, like, do I really want to experience God's love for me? Because I promise you it'll change everything. It'll change the way you see your friends, your family, your job. It'll change the way you see your life. It'll change it for the better. But you'll have to let go of the comforts that secretly and honestly are the idols of your heart. The things that we don't call idols, but they are. But I promise that when his love overwhelms you, it's actually exciting to lose those things. Amen. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. I pray you would guide them. Uh, by the way, you're not getting this mic back. <laughs> pray that you would uh, guide them. Um, into your love that they would really experience and know it that we would stop trying to live a certain way or walk a certain way or talk a certain way but we would just fall in love with you through the truth of your love for us God and I thank you for the lives that will change I thank you that we'll begin to live according to your word and we'll begin to live according to your promises in response to your love Lord I pray that that would engulf us God it would consume us, Lord, for your word promises that you are an all-consuming fire and that as that love begins to consume us, God, I pray there would be nothing left besides the person you called us to be, besides the person of Jesus, God, and besides our focus and our dedication and our affection to you, Lord. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.